we are in a series right now uh, titled Act Like a Christian. Turn to the person next to you and say, Act Like a Christian. <laughs> Come on, you can do better than that. Say, Act Like a Christian. So about three months ago, I knew summertime was coming, and, uh, and so I was online, and I got this uh, um, advertisement piece for, this, uh, for men's pants, and I was like, oh my goodness, this is exactly what I needed. They advertised these pants as, um, uh, you know, that they will perfect fit, kind of, kind of, you can wear them, you know, for professional business, but you can also wear them for just cool hangout. Like there's these crossover pants, you know, like all the young guys are tapered at the bottom, got the little scrunchy piece at the bottom, but yet, you know, it's cool. You can also wear them, you know, for business meetings and stuff, but that also you can wear them out, you know, having fun just with friends. And I was like, I got to have them. They had the colors I like. I went through. Well, if you haven't noticed, my um, I, I can I may not I cannot confirm or deny that my waist size may be bigger than my length size, and so so buying pants for me means that I got to hem them off at the knees most of the time, right? And so come on, all you short people, you know what I'm talking about. We win, and so because lo, I'm with you always. That's what Scripture says. Anyway, so so I, so I, I get online and I'm so excited because these guys actually have my size. You click through the click the colors and that kind of stuff, and I click on it. And man, they're a good price. They're like, I don't know, they're like 20 bucks a piece. And I'm like, this is my stuff. And normally I just, you know, I shop at the discount stores, you know, Marshalls or someplace like that, right? And so and they never have my size. And so, um, so I'm, I'm going to have them tailor-made for me, or so I think. And uh, the problem was, I don't shop online. And all you ladies who shop online, you already know what I accidentally did. I knew I was in trouble when I didn't get a tracking number for my order for two weeks. Then when I finally got a tracking number after three weeks, they were coming from China and we'll be in the port of New Orleans, you know, a month from now. Three months later, these jokers show up. I don't know who could fit in these pants because they were about this big around and, and literally when I put them on, I had another foot off the end of my toes. They must have been like, you know, 39 or 38 length or whatever. I mean, Shaquille O'Neal's uh, length, you know, kind of thing. Not only that, but I put them on and I was like, Jamie, what do you think? She's like, oh my Jesus. I was like, what's wrong? She goes, you can see your underwear all through these pants. I was like, they did feel kind of thin. Listen, I hadn't had these pants put on, trying them on three minutes when I realized they duped me. What they advertised that they were going to have and what I got was two different things. I think we got an entire generation that says, wait a minute, you're supposed to be a Christian? What you're advertising is not how you're acting. And it's my job as your pastor and even to myself to remind us, and Jesus said, teach him to obey everything I've commanded, that we've got to come back to the place of acting like Christians. Now, how do Christians act? And so what we did in this series is that we've gone back to the book of Acts. The OCs, as I call them, the original Christians. How did they act? I mean, if you want to know the purity of something, go back to its original design. Go back to what it was originally meant to do and how they originally worked on it and what they originally did. And the original Christians, they acted a lot different than it seems like modern Christians act. And I think it's time for us to go back and act like Christians. And the original Christians, how do they act? And so... We're in, in, in part four of the series, and, and when, if you weren't with us in parts one, two, three, and then we paused for a moment, had Father's Day, and I was so grateful for Brother Titus, and the word that he brought was so good, and just such a father in the, in the faith, and just so, I mean, Ben lost his sweet, precious wife, you know, just months ago, and still just 
plugging away for Jesus and hadn't given up and not living in depression. That's what maturity looks like. And just so proud of him and what a word he brought for us. But we've been looking through these different pieces in the book of Acts. And we started in Acts chapter 2 where how they devoted themselves to prayer. Real Christians, original Christians devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to fellowship or quantania, small group life as we see in those passages. And the reason why we're so committed to it here at Hill City. They devoted themselves to having meals with people. And I believe that they were literally winning their friends and relatives to Christ by just eating with them and telling them their story. Like, dude, you got to understand, I could not keep my marriage together. And then I found Christ, or he found me. And everything has shifted. It's unbelievable. You need Jesus. And, and then the other thing it says they very clearly committed themselves to was the study of the word. And then from there, we went to the next couple of chapters in chapter 4, and we saw something that blew our minds. And this is not very fun in modern Christianity because we've seen it misappropriated. But quite frankly, the early church, they were givers. The Bible talks about how they were selling properties and just coming and laying them at the apostles' feet. No one had needs in their midst because they were taking care of one another. They didn't, no one claimed that their stuff was their own. That does not sound like the modern church, but that's how the original church, they were givers. And we, and we looked into that, and it was very difficult for me as a pastor because I know I pastor people who struggle with giving because maybe they were misappropriated at another church or maybe because they watched some TikTok or YouTube videos about people, you know, who are lying about the scriptures and things like that. It was difficult for me to bring that truth forward to you, but it was necessary. Christians give. That's what we do. It's who we are. And then we looked at the part three, and that was we looked in Acts chapter 6 where they were caregivers they cared about people they actually cared about people they didn't it wasn't good that people were getting overlooked in the body of christ and they they changed everything they changed whole systems just so they could care for people better as we grow just like they had grown they couldn't keep doing it mom and pop anymore they had to figure out how to how to how to grow in in their systems so that they could care for one another better and they literally had to release ministry into the hands of all the people which is a critical component of Hill City is that I'm not the guy. Everybody trying to get to me, that's not going to happen because there are more anointed, more caregiving, more godly people in this congregation than just me. There are so many folks that should be ministering, but someone taught them over the years that they just come and they receive and they don't give. And that breaks the cycle of genuine care for one another. And that's what they had to learn early on. And then today, as we jump into this passage today, we're going to be in Acts chapter 9. Turn there with me. Acts chapter 9. And I've titled this, Believe the Best. Everybody say, Believe the Best. Believe say it again. Say, Believe the Best. Because that's what Christians do. They believe the best. In Acts chapter 9, as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of backstory on what's happened. There's this guy named Saul. We also know him as Paul throughout the scriptures. Saul has been going around killing Christians, putting them in prison. He sees Christianity as a cult against Judaism, against, against the, 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 um, the Old Testament ways of following God. He sees these people who are following Jesus as deceived, and he sees them as trying to disrupt the goodness of God as he has learned it and how he has been trained to follow Jehovah God based on the Torah and the law of Moses and the teachings there of the prophets. And so he's gone about trying to destroy them. In fact, in chapter 8, the Bible says that persecution got so hot in Jerusalem where all the OCs, the original Christians, had gathered. And remember, we're at the point where there were somewhere close to 20,000 believers at this point. So many salvations. As they started caring for people, more people got saved. Even priests came into the fold and began to get saved. Just kind of bringing you back to where we were. And then it says in chapter 8, the great persecution and the Christians scattered. They, they went, they left Jerusalem. The apostles were able to 
to stay and not be murdered because the people, uh, the, the, the wicked ones were scared of killing them lest there be a riot. But, but everyone else literally scattered. And in chapter 9, what we see um, uh, in the beginning is the apostle Paul, uh, excuse me, Saul, who's doing all this murderous stuff, is on his way to a city in Dam called Damascus. And as he's on the trip there, he has an encounter with Jesus. Jesus knocks his behind on the ground and says, what are you doing? And he goes, I didn't realize the whole thing. I was wrong. He has this miraculous thing because his eyes are blinded. And he goes to God. Uh, Jesus tells him, go find a, a guy. He's going to help you. He lays hands on him. Scales falls off his eyes. And we're going to pick up there in chapter 9, verse 20. And, uh, and it says, and at once, talking about Saul. Now, let me just help you. Saul, Paul, they're the same person in Scripture in the, in the New Testament. Saul was his Hebraic name. So if you, you take Adam in English, and we say it Adam, but if you go into another country, they may, call, they may pronounce my name Adim or something like that, depending on where I'm at, right? And some of you would even more, uh, more uh, pronounced names may have a little different sound to it. So he uses, the, he uses his name uh, Saul in his Hebraic. But when he's reaching Gentiles, non-Jews, he uses the name Paul. It's the same name. It's just kind of presented a little bit differently in the different language. And he does that throughout scriptures. You'll see the shift because he is called to reach the non-Jews. God gives him a calling to do that. So he goes by his non-Jewish sounding name, if you will, in certain parts of scripture. So just to help any confusion. It says at once, talking about Saul, he began to preach after he has this encounter with the Lord in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. So you got to understand this. So, uh, so now all of a sudden, the guy, I mean, the, I mean you take arch enemy number one. To the Christians, I mean, this is this is crazy, right? Now, all of a sudden, you know, uh, Thantos, is that how you say his name? All of a sudden, now he is he's on the other side. He joins the, the Avengers. You know, it's like what just happened? And so he's preaching, and and it's confusing everyone. It says all those who heard were astonished and asked, "Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem?" Among those who call on this name, and hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? And yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 23, after many days had gone by, there was conspiracy amongst the Jews to kill him. They got so fired up like, dude, you're now on their side and you are blowing our minds. Like we can't even argue against you because you're so doggone smart. You're so doggone anointed by God. And all of our arguments aren't working against you because you actually have truth. That's what's happening. And it says, and so they conspired to kill him. Verse 24, but Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept a close watch on the city gates. In other words, they weren't going to let him get out. They were waiting to jump him once he got out of the city. They're watching the gates in order to kill him. Verse 25, but his followers, now he's got followers already. He's, made so, he's had such an impact by truly serving Jesus that people were like, dude, I'm following you. You got truth. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket um, through an opening in the wall. Verse 26 when he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas, everybody say, but Barnabas. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he told them how Saul was on his journey and had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. <laughs> so here he is again trying to get killed. And so when the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and set him off to Tarsus. So let's back up in verse 20 and 20, 20, 22. We see that Paul starts preaching the, the things of God. 
and it literally blows the minds of everyone in Damascus. He's on his way to Damascus. He's got letters of approval. To, if he finds any Christians there, he can drag them back to Jerusalem. They can be imprisoned. They can be murdered. They can be killed. They're going to throw them in the middle of the Colosseum. They're going to be the pregame show before the gladiators get out there and fight. They're literally going to turn them loose and let the lions and tigers and bears oh my, eat them. And those, this is what they were doing in the early church against the Christians and the, with the OCs. They would capture them and they, in front of their children. They put them out in the Colosseum for sport and watch uh, wild animals rip, their, rip them apart in front of all of these crowds of people. And so this has gotten popularity. They, they, and, and, so, and so Saul is on his way to find more Christians and he on the way to Damascus has this experience with the Lord. And the Lord smacks him upside the head and says, come on now, what are you doing? And from that point forward, he shifts and he says, I will follow you, Jesus. And as he gets there in Damascus, he starts preaching. And all the guys, all the Sanhedrin, all the Jewish leaders, all the Pharisees and Sadducees are now all of a sudden baffled. Like, we can't keep up with you. Like, you've made this shift. And they get so angry, they want to kill him. And they plan on murdering this guy. And instead, he escapes. Now, even in his escape, think about how humiliating that is. You've been preaching the fire of God. You've been seeing miracle signs and wonders. And now all of a sudden, they're planning on killing you. And your own guys who follow you now, your disciples say, look, we got to get you out of here. And so here you go from being, praise God, nothing can kill us. We're loving God. And all of a sudden, get me out the window. Hide me out. Get me out of here. And they get him out of there. And then what happens that's not written here, Luke doesn't record. But between verses 25 and 26, it says he leaves Damascus. And then verse 26 picks up and he shows up at Jerusalem. But there's a space of three years in between here that Luke just doesn't bother to record. Actually, in Galatians chapter 1, Paul talks about it. When he leaves Damascus, what he actually goes and does is he goes out into Arabia. And the Bible talks about how he spent three years in Arabia. He goes out into Arabia. He's a new Christian. He's a new preaching machine. He's fired up. But he goes out into Arabia. He's probably, his initial uh, motivation is to go hide out from all these people who are now going to try to kill him. But somewhere in the process of that, it is my opinion that in the middle of that, he begins to say, you know what, I have found a safe place to begin to work through the doctrines that I don't really understand. I, I, to have the Holy Spirit at work in my life and to see Jesus through the lens of the power of the Holy Spirit. And for the next three years, he literally is out in obscurity. He's out in a wilderness, if you will. And can I just help you with something? Never despise wilderness times in your life because there are opportunities for you to deepen your relationship with Jesus. But it's foolish to be in a wilderness moment, sitting around complaining about it, getting fat and sloppy and more fleshly. If you're in a spot where God's not using you in a big way and everybody's not calling out your name, you need to embrace and say, oh, this is awesome because in this place, I can work on my doctrine. In this place, I can work on intimacy with Christ. In this place, I can write songs from the depths of my heart instead of waiting for someone to validate me. I'm in a place of wilderness. I'm in a place of nondescriptness where no one knows my name. That's the time. Work on that thing. Work on that relationship. Deepen that relationship. And he's doing that. And at the end of these three years, something magical happens. He wakes up and goes, it's time. It's time for me to get back involved in the body of believers. And he shows up in Jerusalem. And he walks in. I mean, now look, this guy's been three years with Jesus out in the wilderness. By the way, the apostles spent three years with Jesus training them. And so the apostle Paul validates his apostleship by saying, and I spent three years with just me and Jesus out in the middle of nowhere with him training me from his hand to my mouth. 
And this is why he owns the apostleship that he walked there in and the encounter that he had with the Lord. And so he shows up in Jerusalem. And he's just, can you imagine? I would imagine he's thinking he's going to be embraced. Like, wow, you're the guy. Now, remember, it's been three, almost four years where he had been the guy who was getting them all killed. They all knew this name, Saul of Tarsus. If you ever hear that he's in your town, you better get away. He's coming to kill Christians. And then he has this encounter, and people are whispering about it. Yeah, didn't he have a, I don't know, where's he at? If he's had such a great encounter with God, where is he? Huh? I'll tell you what, he's a spy. That's what that sucker is. And he shows up in Jerusalem, and he goes, dun da 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 I am here. And they go, I don't think so. The scripture actually says they had two problems with him. Number one, they were afraid, and number two, they didn't believe. They were afraid, and they didn't believe. And they had a little bit of cause for that. Somebody had a cousin in this group that he had had killed. Somebody knew about how he had lied and cheated and manipulated to get those people and put in prison. Somebody had inside information from four years ago when this dude was being wicked and vile and horrific. Somebody lost a family member because of this idiot. And now all of a sudden he shows them talking about, praise the Lord, I'd like to be a part of you. I've had an experience with the Lord. And the Bible says that they were scared, they were afraid, and they didn't believe. Mm-mm, I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. How many gifts from God has the church missed out on because we were afraid and we didn't believe? Think about that. Think about how many small group leaders have we said, mm, I don't know. You could be great, but I don't think so because you still, I don't believe that you still ain't an alcoholic anymore. How much fear has kept people from being able to use their gifts in the body of Christ because you're like, if I let her come in and sing with us, then I'm going to lose my position. I know she's a gift from God, but I may lose my opportunities if she steps up because she's gifted. Let me just tell you what the OC church was like. They were struggling in this moment because they've been through persecution. They've been scattered. They lost their homes. And, they, and people gone. And, they, and COVID, not just, they didn't just stop coming to church, but they left the city. They're trying to build back up the church now. It's kind of all calmed down by chapter 9. Some are coming back. And now here shows up this knothead. Here comes this crazy guy. And the Bible says very clearly they rejected him and said, no, you will not be a part of us. Because we don't trust you. We don't believe in you. Oh, but there's something precious. Whoo, in verse 27. Verse 27 opens up and says, but Barnabas. I said it said, but Barnabas. Every one of us need a but Barnabas moment in our life. But Barnabas. The Bible says, but Barnabas grabbed Saul, grabbed him, and he brought him to the apostles and said, let me tell you something about this guy right here. He had an encounter with the Lord. He's been preaching, and he's been off in the wilderness getting his doctrine straight. And the Bible doesn't even from there make some big hoorah about it. It just says from that point forward, he starts preaching in their midst. He's accepted from all because of a Barnabas. Everybody say a Barnabas. Barnabas believed in Saul when nobody else believed in him. 
Barnabas shifted Christianity in that moment because it started going this way. Well, I don't know if we can trust. I don't know if we can believe. I don't know. I have a reason to be scared because of what you did last time. And Barnabas steps up under the power of the Holy Spirit and says, no, sir. No, sir. Let me grab this guy. But Barnabas, every one of us are here today because of a Barnabas in our life that grabbed us by the hand and said, let me help you. Let me believe in you when no one else believes in you. Let me, I, I, you know what I think happened? I think part because there's no indication in scripture that Barnabas had ever met Saul prior to this moment. There's no indication. What I think happened was Barnabas heard about it and he went over to them, found that guy and said, hey, I'd like to meet you for coffee. And I think he sat in a coffee shop and said, tell me about yourself. And then Saul began to tell the story. I was wicked. I was, I was so deceived. And I hated Christians because they were killing the movement of God. They were defacing the plan of God. And then I had an encounter with the Messiah. It shook me. I was blinded for a number of days. And then Ananias laid hands on me and scales fell off my eyes. And it was like a rebirth. I could see for the first time what dead religion had me doing. What dead, wicked religion had me doing. Killing people and hurting people. And all of a sudden, the love of God came in. And the Spirit of the Holy Ghost came inside of me. I got this prayer language. And all I know is I had to stand up in those synagogues. And I started preaching and preaching. And they got so mad at me, they tried to kill me. And all I knew to do was to go hide out in Arabia. But since I've been in Arabia for the last three years, I've heard his voice. I read through this passage and it makes sense for the first time and I saw him in the prophetic passages over here and I read through the Torah with a different set of eyes and all of a sudden I see it I know who he is and he's my best friend and he's the God of salvation he is the Messiah and I think sitting there the spirit of the living God inside of Barnabas goes that's uh, this dude's legit this dude's legit you gotta help him you can't let them reject this guy and Barnabas says come on let's go every one of us Every one of us are where we're at because of a Barnabas. Someone who believed in us when no one else believed in us. I wouldn't be your pastor if it wasn't for some Barnabases along the way. If it wouldn't have been for Rick Bezek, who saw a knothead little 19-year-old. Out of all the great leaders he had in his youth group. And came and got me at Bible school one day. And said, you know, you're an idiot. Because how crazy am I? He goes, but I want to make you my assistant. Knowing that my senior pastor didn't believe in me because I was always acting a fool. But Pastor Rick saw in me what no one else saw in me. And he gave me an opportunity. Next thing you know, I become the youth pastor. That someone believed in me. I know exactly who it was. Believed in me. How did I become the director of one of the most famous Bible schools in the world? Because someone saw me ministering. And even though I was silly sometimes and didn't always get my doctrine stuff straight sometimes, and even though I acted a fool sometimes, they believed in me. And they said, come here, we want to introduce you to somebody who's going to give you an opportunity to go forward. Every one of us have had a Barnabas in moments in our life, critical moments. And how dare us, how dare us be modern Christians who don't believe in others. See, the OCs almost missed it. But there was a Barnabas in that moment. And something shifted all of a sudden in Christianity. It was heading this way. And Barnabas stood up and said, no, this way. This is the right way. To believe in them even when they're not great. To believe in them even when they don't have it all together. To believe in them even when they don't know what they're doing. To believe in them. Christians believe the best. That's what we do. That's what we do. That's who we're supposed to be. 
That's what we're supposed to be giving out to others. When no one else believes in you, we'll believe in you. When everybody else has written you off, we're supposed to believe. And I'll tell you why. Because our God believes the best in us. You think that through for a moment. God the Father, knowing how wicked humanity is, having been with the Jewish people, having covenant relationship, called them his sons and his daughters. And every few years, these people who loved him would turn their middle finger up at him and go worship other gods. Understanding that in them was evil because of their flesh, their sin nature, even though the Spirit of the Lord would come upon them. Knowing, living those years with the people, humanity, and he still would say, but I want a relationship so bad with you that I'll send my only begotten son. I'm going to give you a gift of life, even though I know there's wickedness in you. Even though you may never choose me, I'm going to give you a gift. God believes the best, even though he understands how wicked we truly are. I teach you this all the time here in this church, that as a Christian, as a believer, when you make a decision for Christ, the Spirit of Christ comes inside of the Holy Spirit. He comes inside of you. I taught you a few weeks, months ago. He has a job to do in our lives, to convict us. That's who's convicting you when you feel bad about sin. It's the Holy Spirit at work in your life. That's good. It's not bad. That's great. He leads us. He guides us. How are you making decisions? I'm making decisions based on the Spirit of the Lord as he's leading me and guiding me, even through the Holy Scriptures and bringing me revelation through the Word. He comforts us. These are the pieces. He empowers us to overcome cancer and sinfulness and all this wickedness in the world. He empowers us. And the Spirit of Christ comes inside of you as a Christian, but you still have your sin nature. You still have a sin nature. It's more natural to sin. It's more natural to want to cuss somebody out than to bless them. That's more natural. And they're at the, Paul said they're at battle with each other inside of me. There's this war going on inside of me. And, and, and God knows that. And he still says, believe the best. Believe the best. And can I just help you a little bit? And although we do believe the best, we're also supposed to do that with wisdom. Let me help you with that for just a little bit. Let me talk about believing the best in people while using wisdom. Because Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus gives him clarity on that. He says, now listen, I'm going to send you eyes out. He's going to send them his disciples out, two by two. He says, look, look, pick up with me in verse 16 uh, of Matthew 10. I am sending you out like sheep surrounded by wolves. Why would you send me in the midst of wolves? Hey, go help wolves. Don't you know what wolves do to sheep? They eat us. That's what he says. I'm sending you like sheep into the wickedness of this world, into the midst of these wolves. Why does he say that? He goes, but let me help you. Be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, as innocent as doves. So in other words, yes, you're surrounded by people who have the potential to be amazing and also eat your lunch. The same people who will love you will also try to stab you. That's what he's telling him. He says, I'm sending you like sheep among, so use wisdom, he says. So I want you to be as wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. This is what Christians are supposed to look like. I can believe the best in you without completely trusting you. I can. That's what I'm called to do. Believe the best. And, and so his mantra literally was, believe the best while keeping your eye on their flesh. That's my mantra. That's my mantra. I tell people all the time, I love you, ooh, I believe in you, but I don't trust your flesh. I don't trust your flesh, I don't trust my wife's flesh, I don't trust my flesh. 
So I put my flesh in check so that it doesn't rule me. And it doesn't hurt me or hurt you. Right? Because we all have a tendency to be thieves, robbers, perverts, liars, cheaters, selfish ambition. That's in all of us. It's being crucified day by day. And the Spirit of the Lord has given us power over it. But at the same time, catch me on a bad day. And my flesh gets the best of me. And it hurts you. And then you go, that Pastor Adam, he's a hypocrite. No, you just caught me on a flesh day. I'm so sorry. Just like I've caught you a few times on a flesh day. <laughs> saw you in Walmart. You didn't know I saw you. <laughs> Jesus. Came across one of your posts. Dear Jesus, help us, Lord. Right? And so you can believe the best while at the same time saying, hey, I believe in you, but I don't trust your flesh. This is the beauty of the wisdom by which we're supposed to operate. And Jesus actually sets the precedence there. He goes, I'm going to send you out in the midst of wolves. You're, gonna, you're like sheep compared to them. They're vicious. It's not even in your nature to be as vicious as they are. But I need you to be as wise as serpents while being harmless like doves. Don't, don't become a wolf to be like them, to fight their way. Stay a sheep. But be wise as you follow me. And as you show love to people who probably don't even deserve it. So why can we as Christians believe the best? I want to give you a couple thoughts. Write these down. Why can I as a Christian believe the best in somebody who's wicked? Why can I believe the best? Let me tell you why. Number one, because our God redeems. My God redeems. He takes a Saul and he turns him into a Paul. He takes a murderous individual and he turns him into the, one of the greatest apostles we've ever known. He takes a guy who is deceptive and self-ambitious and he takes him and he suffers him all through life. And he goes through this suffrage and he becomes one of the greatest miracle-working apostolic leaders. Writes two-thirds of the New Testament church. A theological giant all because of what? Because he had been wicked and God redeemed him into greatness. Listen to me. 2 Corinthians says it like this in verse five, chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That's why you can say, oh, he was in prison. Yeah, but he's a preaching machine. Yeah, oh, wait, she's had such issues running around from man to man. No, no, no. She's a pure woman of God, and I call that forth out of her life because my God redeems what was broken, what was wicked, what was harmful, what was shameful. He can redeem that and turn you into a person of righteousness and goodness that's why I can believe in people because my God redeems he takes broken stuff and he turns it into good stuff <clears throat> you go interview my first second third grade teachers and you say hey I just I heard that you were the teacher for my pastor pastor Adam McCain they go say what he's a what uh, I think you got the wrong name because Adam McCain, I, I knew that kid's in jail. I'm going to tell you that right now. That kid is in jail. He was smart. Ooh, that kid was smart. And I'm sure he ain't in jail for uh, selling drugs. But he stole something online. He figured out how to do a Ponzi scheme. That guy right there is in jail. That's what they're going to tell you. But if you interview my first little league coach, Mr. Russian, and you say, Mr. Russian, I don't know if you remember Adam McCain. He's my pastor. He's going to say, I knew he would be. Because Mr. Russian, little old country man, little big old country man, wore his little overalls, first coach I ever had, little league baseball. 
and you want to know, you talk about wild and crazy and hyperactive. And that man would look at me every day and say, son, you're going to be great. Just keep doing what I'm telling you to do. He's the first one who had, that I can remember who ever believed in me. Whoever called out, who only one who ever called out greatness in me up until that point in my life. Not my, my mama did, but, but the only one. And he saw in me the greatness. He knew the wickedness. He knew the stupidity. He knew the foolishness. But he called out the greatness in me. Because that's what Christians do. He's a good Baptist brother. He did Sunday school for kids. And he did, and he, and he did Little League for kids. That was his thing in life. He's a farmer. And he took the little bit of extra hours that he had. And he went and found a bunch of nodhead little hoodlum kids. And called out greatness in them. I'm here today because there was a Barnabas named Mr. Rushing. But Barnabas, had he not called out that greatness and believed in me when no one else believed in me. They were, everyone wanted to find a way to discipline me, to control me. Because you've got to break him down if you're going to help him. And he didn't. He understood what Christians are supposed to understand. That is, how about you just believe in them? And by believing in them, the Spirit of Christ can come forward in that believing. That's what Christians do because our God believed in us you know why we can believe in others number one because our God's a redeemer and number two because our God works all things together for the good he works all things together for the good that's why I can believe in you because even if you hurt me he'll work it together for the good if you don't know that passage that's found in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord or love God and those who are called according to his purposes if you love God and you're fulfilling your purpose the best you can every day it don't matter what happens even if someone stabs you in the back he'll work it together for good he'll work it together for good Joseph said it like this to his brothers who had imprisoned him who had thrown him out who rejected him who tried to kill him Joseph said you meant it for my evil you wanted to destroy me but God worked it together for the good so that I one day could save you and my whole family line. And there were times when I was in prison that I was so angry at you. And God would come to me and say, I'm working this out. Don't worry about it. You thought it was for my evil. You were trying to harm me. But God took your pain. He took your problem. He took your wickedness into my life. And he worked it into something that was beautiful and good. He said, I've been through a divorce. He'll work it together for good. He said, I was rejected at my last church. He'll work it together for good. I have a hard time trusting people. He'll work it together for your good. That's what he does. And so I can believe in you, even though I know you're probably going to hurt me. In this church, we believe in people so much. We let people be small group leaders. They're all, the staff is always fussing at me. They're like, Pastor, you got to stop that. I'm like, what? Like, you told this guy he, he's going to be a network pastor. I said, I know, I see it in him. He's going to be a network pastor in our church. I'm like, he hasn't even been through the grow track. <laughs> like, he don't, even believe this, he don't even believe in heaven and hell. <sighs> yeah, but there's greatness in him. I see it. Well, pastor, we got to get him through the grow track. You set it up. You said these are the check boxes to get to be a leader in our church. He's still struggling with alcoholism. Yeah, but he's going to be going to be great and we set people up to get to be great in this church knowing you know, they may split off take a bunch of people hurt us but I know even in that he's going to work it all together for the good who cares maybe we need more churches who cares for the good he works it together here's a third reason why we can believe and that is 
because our God has made us promises. So I can believe the best in you because I got some promises. Like John 3, 16. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I have a promise. So even by believing in you, if something horrible happens in my life, even by believing in Miss Jamie, if she wakes up one day and says, God's fake, I don't believe any of it, I don't want to be married to you, I have a promise that if I will believe in him, I will see eternal life. I will not perish but have eternal life. So I can hold on to the promises, promises like 29, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to do good, not for your disaster, to give you a future and a hope. So in the midst of believing in things and believing in situations and trying to believe the best, even though they don't look like they're going in the right day, way, I can hold on to the promise that he's got a future hope and a plan for me to prosper me and take care of me and watch after me. I can believe Matthew chapter 6, where he says, he'll take care of my needs according to his riches and glory. If I but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, if he cares for the lilies, if he cares for the sparrows, will he not care for me? That's a promise I can hold on to. So you can be stabbing me and stabbing me, and I can keep believing and believing. Because why? Because he's given me a promise that he's going to take care of all things. And that i got eternal life waiting for me and him forever and ever. And this is what the early church was struggling with. This man has destroyed us. Everyone's been scattered mainly because of this guy. And now all of a sudden he wants to be a part of us? Look what fear and unbelief does. And Barnabas came back and he said, let me remind you of some promises. He works all things together for the good. Let me remind you of some promises. We're going to spend eternity with him. What is this world but a vapor? What does it matter? This man's had an encounter with the Lord. And whether he's a spy and he's lied and he's manipulated, we don't have to worry about it. Because God holds us in the palm of his hand. And neither heights nor debts nor principalities or powers can separate us from the love of God. Hold to the promises, you bunch of nodheads. And in the midst of that, it shifted the original Christians back to how they were supposed to act. And that is believe. When everyone else isn't believing, we can keep believing. The OCs almost rejected the Apostle Paul. Because they had forgotten about the promises. Oh, but thank God Barnabas kicks them in the butt Barnabas and says, wait a minute. That's not the right way. This is the right way. So I want to give you for the next few moments a couple practical applications. How in the world can I start believing the best in people? Let me give you a couple pieces that I've learned to do over the years out of the Bible. Write these down. Number one, here's the first thing I've learned to do, and that is speak life instead of fear and doubt. The reason why I make every one of our little leaders stand up here and say, thank you all for coming to church today. If you're brand new and, and does it look, they're not the best communicators. I'm the best communicator in this church. Why am I letting everybody else do it? Because I believe in them. And by believing in them, they're going to rise up. And they're going to be better than me. That's the goal. That's the goal. But you can't, if you never get in the game, you can't, you can't ever hit the ball. Put them in the, I don't care if they strike out every time. Put them back in the batter's box. Let them have another shot at it. And so I'm constantly speaking life, constantly. And I tell them, when you stand in front of our people, you tell them that Proverbs passage about we're going to speak life. Because we've all had so much death spoken over us. You, you want to begin to believe, just, I need to start believing in my kid again. Because, Pastor, I tell you, I look at him, I just want to kill him. He reminds me so much of my ex-husband, dear God, Jesus. Your starting point is to start speaking life instead of fear and doubt. Start speaking life. You're speaking so much fear and doubt. 
You're speaking fear. Thank God, my 15-year-old's constantly kicking me in the butt Barnabas and saying, Dad, speak life. You preach that, don't you? I'm like, you're right, you're right. Speak life. Speak life over them. Speak life over your situation. Why do you go into work? Yeah, I hate going to my job. There's a bunch of idiots over there. Speak life. Speak life into that thing. So you know what? They've got some difficulties, but I'm there for such a time as this. And I'm going to see every one of them doggone suckers saved. They're going to be turned around. The God who redeemed me can redeem them. The God who fixed me can fix them. I'm looking for the opportunity and the moment to speak into that thing that I know that I have access to because I work with them. Speak life instead of fear. And not only that, stop asking everybody to agree with all your concerns. I have some concerns about her. I have some concerns. I have some concerns about that. I have some concerns about that. Uh, the Bible calls that gossip and slander. Let me tell you, you got some concerns? Do what the Bible tells you to do. Intercede. Pray. Speak life into that thing. I call that out of them in the name of Jesus. I see that old Jezebel thing trying to attack her, but I thank you she's a woman of God. I speak into that, and I command you, looser devil, in the name of Jesus. Hey, what do you think about so-and-so, what she wears on stage? You know what? I think she's a woman of God, and she's probably working through some things just like I am. But I'm going to tell you right now, let's just join hands and agree that she's going to find that sweet place in God and not have to worry about nobody judging her. This is a place at that, this church where we actually can become who God wants us to be, calling forth the life of God inside of people. Are you with me? Say yes. I've told you this before. When I was a youth minister, I had this little group of little devils. This is when I got a revelation of this. I mean devil. They were devils. They weren't none of your kids. And I was like, and I went to the senior pastor, like, I need to kick these three kids out of the church. They need to be excommunicated. In fact, they need to be neutered and, um, and done away with. Because the havoc they're causing with all the young ladies in my church, in my youth group. And the pastor said, how about you just believe the best? And I said, well, how about you just get up in here and try what I'm doing? This is hard. And that's right then and there. That's when I had a revelation. Thank God for a, man, uh, a senior pastor who had wisdom. And so I shifted. I started calling them men of God. He's sitting there, bouncing from girl to girl, trying to get in each one of their pants. And I started calling them, hey, man of God, come help me move this chair. Hey, man of God. Hey, man of God. I just started calling them men of God, called the power of God out, up out of them, who they were supposed to be instead of who they were becoming because of wickedness. Can I tell you something? Years later, one of these young men's grown. They all grow up, you know, and I kind of lost connection with them. And one of them found me. He said, I want you to know I'm a minister today, Pastor. He said, I know when I left you, you thought for sure I was going to hell. I said, no, I didn't think that. I just knew you were on a tough journey and that you had some more things that you're going to have to face because you had such rebellion in your heart towards God. He goes, well, I want you to know I was laying in bed one night after being in a club all night long. And I look up into my ceiling. I'm like, what am I doing with my life, God? And all of a sudden, I saw your face and heard your voice go, come on, man of God. Come on, man of God. He said, you called me into my purpose and my calling. Just by believing in me. And pastor, in that moment, I made a shift, quit everything. I went to Bible school, and I'm a pastor today because you believed in me when nobody else believed in me. Let me tell you something. Speak life. Speak life. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, oh God. Here's the second practical thing I would teach you to do. If you're going to believe the best in people, then don't assume wrong motives. We do this naturally. It's wired inside each and every one of us. Every one of us, we automatically assume something. We automatically assume they, they, they meant to do that to me. They meant to do that to me. Wives, can I just help you? He didn't. He ain't that smart. Okay? 
he probably didn't mean that at all. He don't have any idea. He just did something stupid because he's stupid. Because he's a dude. Okay? Now, I understand there are people with all kinds of manipulative motives. But don't assume motives because of the action. That's counseling 101, by the way. Never assign motive to an action that you haven't interviewed and found out what the true motive was. In fact, the scripture says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5. Therefore, do not pass judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. Some of you are losing your mind because you're trying to figure out everybody's motive. What's his angle? What's his angle? What's he trying to get out of me? Uh, there's another preacher trying to get the money out of me. I see. I see. You're always looking for motive. How about you just take it for what it is? Just take it for what it is. Uh, years ago, I remember we had this young lady. She just got saved. She came to our youth group, man, and she was well endowed. And she was, you know, she, she wore the clothes of the time. And so, you know, she hadn't been there three weeks up there worshiping the Lord on the front row when all the lady leaders came to us and said, we got a problem. What's the problem? That girl right there trying to get all the dudes lusting in here. I'm like, really? Yes. Yes, she is. Look at the kind of shirt she's wearing. And we were like, hmm, how about y'all go meet with her? One of the leaders was like, I'll go meet with her. I said, all right, let's pray. We laid hands on those ladies and prayed and said, Lord, would you just reveal truth? And, Lord, we thank you for this young lady who's come in our midst and gotten saved. We just, Lord, we just thank you for her growth right now and, and that we would be able to help her in the next phase of her growth. Guess what that leader came back and said? She was all humble. She was like, well, it just shows I still got judgmentalism in me. Like, what happened? She said, well, we confronted her and said, you wearing these shirts all tight with all your stuff hanging out? And she went, oh, my God, I had no idea. I just wanted to serve Jesus as the clothes I had. I'm so sorry. Do you need me to go repent to anybody? I don't want to be like this. I don't want anyone to stumble. And she went, we're so sorry for talking to you about this. We're your best friends. Nobody's making Jesus. They, they associated motive that she was trying to be a Jezebel, trying to get all the men to stumble. Yes, her actions could have been better, but her motive wasn't wicked. You start applying motives to your kids, to your spouses, to your coworkers. Do you, know how, do you know how hard that is to live like that? It's so much easier just to believe the best. Just believe the best. You say, well, what if they take advantage of me? God will work all things together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. It's just easier to believe the best. It's what Christians do. We believe the best because he's sending us like sheep amongst wolves. We're wise. I don't trust your flesh. I understand you have a flesh. I'm not going to let your flesh get me in, in, in too much damage. But at the same time, I'm trusting God. He's going to get me out of whatever you get me into. Because he's the God who never leaves me or forsakes me. Here's the third thing I would teach you to do. If you're going to literally, if you're going to practical application, how you can believe the best in, each, uh, in people. Number three, that is investigate. You ain't never heard nobody preach on this. I'm going to help you. Investigate. Ask questions. The, I, don't, I do not think that Barnabas went... Hey, I don't know who he is, but let's believe in him. I think, I think Barnabas went, come here, boy, let me meet with you. Now, then what happened? And then what did you do? And then how did you get here? And where have you been for three years? Talking about you on fire for Jesus. Huh? You, you part of the CIA, aren't you? Uh-huh. 
secret service group here. Is that what you are? I think he investigated him. And in the midst of investigating, he had a revelation of the spirit of the living God, the, the one who leads and guides us. The Holy Spirit nudged his heart and said, he's the real deal. Believe in him. And go bring him to the apostles so they'll believe in him. Be his advocate. Where did that come from? It came from him investigating. I don't think he blind. I, in fact, it's foolish for you to have blind trust. That's silly. That's not wise. You should have trust with eyes wide open. You should not walk into this church and just say, I just believe everything is beautiful here. Are you out of your ever-living mind? I don't even walk in here like that. Why? Because I understand people have a flesh. And I understand we all have a sin nature. Are you with me? So you need to investigate. You need to look into it. Don't just blindly trust. Listen, wise trust investigates to determine the cost of believing. I'll say it again. Wise trust investigates so I can know how much it's going to cost me to believe in you. I know you have a past, but I'm still going to believe in you. But I also know I'm not going to let you, I'm, I'm not going to let you get around any alcohol. I know you have a past. I know you've struggled with this. So I'm not going to put that in front of you. Because I love you and I believe in you. But I also know you have a flesh. Wise trust investigates to know. Listen, you go marry the first guy that hits you up online. You are out of your ever-living mind. You should spend months getting to know these people. Months getting to know that dude. And then you're looking. You're investigating. What's he going to do like that? And I want to know if he's got any baby mama drama. How many times have you been married? Uh, let me see that. Let me listen. I am looking you up. I am fine. We don't. No one gets hired on this staff that we hadn't so investigated. We run them through the ringer because I want to know exactly what I'm getting myself in for. I know they got weaknesses, and I know how they're going to affect me because I've investigated. You need to invest. Blind trust is not wise trust. Wise trust investigates. Can I play you a little clip? Let me play you a little clip. You know how I like to show you a video. I want to show you a video of a woman who works with alligators. Just let you think about that for a second. For a living, she works with alligators. She's a professional alligator handler. In her job, people come and watch her play with alligators. Play the clip. She's a professional alligator handler. I don't care how nice that alligator is. He's an alligator. And at the end of the day, he's going to have a tendency to bite the hand that feeds him. And what's happened to sweet love is that she's got so comfortable that she forgot he has a sin nature. She might have got him saved, but that joker's got a sin nature. 
and she has stopped watching out for that sin nature and put him and her in jeopardy. Because let me tell you what happened to that, that alligator at the end of that day. He became a pair of boots. I'm going to tell you that right now. That joker ain't never lived past that moment. That's a dead alligator. We are having, we are having, we are having some great alligator uh, sauce pecan that evening. I'm going to tell you that right now. Listen to me. Every one of us have a flesh. Every one of us have a sin nature. I believe in you, and I believe the best in you. But at the same time, I'm going to be wise. I want to help you guys in this. Because how can we as Christians just believe in everyone? And you're just the greatest. And you're the greatest. And you're the greatest. And they are. But you got wickedness in you over here. I'm aware of it. You know I'm aware of it. So I'm not going to let you put me or you in jeopardy. But I believe in you. And I believe the best. And I believe that God can redeem you. And I believe that even if you hurt me, that God will work that together for my good. And I have promises from God that he will not, he will not forsake me or leave me no matter what I go through, even if you're the cause of it. Are you tracking with me? Because we've got too much of a problem in this generation of modern Christians. We don't believe in anybody anymore. We look at everybody like they're going to hurt the church, hurt us. And so we're not welcoming and we're not inviting and so our young people are dying by the wayside because no one believes in them because they, they all, you know, been studying Marxism in college. And so they're all wicked. You know what I saw in Antifa? I saw a group of kids that just needed a purpose. I saw a plan of God working through these kids who are a bunch of idiots. I saw it. Believe the best. That's what we do. Jesus believes the best in you. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that he doesn't hold your sins against you and never gives you opportunity? And that brings me to the last one. Write this down. And that is, if we're going to practically believe the best in others, then the last and final piece I teach you to do is give them opportunity. Give them opportunity. Give your kid opportunity. Give them opportunity. Give, give that person next to you the opportunity. Barnabas brings them, brings Paul right to the guys and says, listen, he's had an encounter with the Lord. He gives him an opportunity. And from that point forward, he starts preaching and all of Jerusalem is turned upside down because they gave him an opportunity to be who he was called to be. Give him an opportunity to try again. Give him an opportunity. So I know what you did back in the day and I tell you right now, listen, believe the best. Give him opportunity. Because you know why? By giving him opportunity, you give him a chance to change the old identity so that they can start walking in their new identity in Christ. Because the old has passed away and everything's become new. And if you don't give them opportunity, when you give them opportunity, that says to them, you don't see me for, my, for who I used to be. You see me for who I'm becoming. And in this church, I'm going to give you opportunity. And who you used to be is going to affect us sometimes. Negatively. But I'd rather give you opportunity. I'd rather believe the best in you than live my whole life in fear and unbelief. Mm, I see that in you. I see that in you. So I live at peace and I live at joy. I lay my pillow on my head at night because I believe in people. And I know the havoc that they create. But oh, what a joy to be like Jesus who believed in us. He took 12 idiots and made them his apostles. Do you understand that? When he picks those 12 apostles, all the other rabbis have already passed over them. They weren't even second chair. They were, at 13 years old, the rabbis would go and pull the best kids and make them their understudies. These young men are now in their 15, 16, 17. They're back serving in the family business because the rabbi says, you ain't good enough and you ain't good enough. And Jesus walks up on the scene and says, I'll take what everyone else rejects and I'll make you great because I believe in you. 
This is what Jesus did. This is what the OCs did. And this is what we should do. We should believe the best. I want you to stand with me quickly. Hey, thank you for joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today. And I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we want to celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469-606-2684? And uh, we want to respond and again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock. And until then, we hope you have an amazing week.